Welcome back to Rhythm Life Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to a very special guest. He is a writer, motivational speaker, and tennis coach. Born in Sierra Leone in the early 80s, he grew up in poverty and witnessed horrors of civil war. As a young boy, he discovered passion for tennis and decided to pursue his dreams despite countless challenges. Thanks to his tenacity and hard work, he achieved a huge success in tennis and is now coaching younger generations to never give up. Sam Jallo, welcome to the show. Rhythm Life. Sam, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. How are you? It's so lovely to, you know, chat to you again. We had the chance to meet in person uh, last year. Uh, when I remember you were shooting uh, um, some tennis ads. And so how is your career as a tennis coach going? It's going absolutely fine. And um, after that, uh, the, the filming we did in London at the Olympic Park, that was absolutely amazing. It was one of my best highlights last year, so I enjoyed it very much. And um, the, the video itself has gone worldwide. And when I was in the U.S., actually, uh, most tennis club I went, I see a few people come up to me and say, ah, I think I've seen you on the head adverts and stuff like that. So it's quite, <laughs> a, it's quite a good thing for people to see. But coaching-wise, I've been very good. Um, I was traveling with Elijah, the American kid, so we do a world tour together, and then we end up in the U.S., uh, so some great performances. And I've just finished Motivate Africa Tour, so I'm enjoying tennis coaching. Oh, amazing, amazing. And very recently, you went to uh, Africa and you did a lot of like charitable and mentoring work there. Can you tell me more about it? Yes. Uh, so this was uh, Motivate Africa 2021, which uh, I decided to go to 10 different countries in West Africa. So um, it was meant to be 20 countries, which was West Africa, Central Africa, and then East, and then few in South Africa. But because of the COVID situation, so we end up in, um, I just end up in West Africa. So I flew to Gambia on the 27th of um, October. Mm-hmm. And um, so I spent five weeks on the road. So me and my younger brother, we started in the Gambia and we worked with a lot of tennis players and play, uh, kids who just love to play tennis. And then also I went to school, speaking in some of the biggest schools in the Gambia, which have thousands of children. Uh, basically, the tour was to help motivate the younger generation to take education seriously, also to stay positive and avoid, you know, crime. And we have a lot of, uh, you know, early teenage pregnancy in Africa. So mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to speak in a lot of girls' school to tell them to, you know, take education seriously and don't rush in making certain decisions in their life so that they can have a better life when they grow older. And so, so many things went on and we, we did that in the Gambia. So I went to Senegal, Guinea, Sierra Leone, Liberia, um, Ivory Coast, which is Côte d'Ivoire uh, in French. Mm-hmm. And then um, I went to Ghana, my, where I went to college and where my coach is. So we had a great time in Ghana and then Togo, Benin, and then I end up in Nigeria. So I, I returned back on the 6th, uh, left Nigeria, got here on the 7th. So it was a good trip. It's uh, 10,000 miles on the road, by the way. So it was all road trip. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Were you like driving, flying? How were you moving around? Uh, driving. Um, I decided to go by road because um, I also want to write a little book called Motivate Africa 21. Um, for me to able to see what I want to write, 
not that I don't know what's happening in Africa because that's where I'm from, especially West Africa. I've been to all of these countries before, so it's not the first time. But because I'm living now in, in England and doing most of my time in the Western world, so many developments have taken place, so many things are still backwards. So I wanted to see firsthand what are the problems that we need to tackle and what can I write to help motivate the younger generation. So instead of me researching things, it's best to go there and travel by road, and which, you know, some of the roads in Africa are not the best. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's worth the trip, and um, we, I did just over 10,000 miles. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. And it's fantastic, all the work that you are putting into motivating young people. And um, so I think at this point, I would love to ask you about your, uh, your first book, uh, How Tennis Saved My Life, because um, my understanding is that, you know, you are so motivated when it comes to um, uh, helping youth uh, from Africa. It's because of your own experiences, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So yeah. can you tell me how, uh, what the book, How Tennis Saved My Life is about and about a little bit more about your upbringing? Well, How Tennis Saved My Life is basically, the title said it, and the subtitle is Play Tennis, Not War. It's, um, you know, it's a memoir of what happened to me during my childhood, growing up, being born poor in a little place in Freetown called Tembetown, because I was born in Sierra Leone in 1982. So my, my mom had, um, you know, 11 children. Uh, she never gave birth in the hospital. Uh, so she, she gave birth on her own. And I was born actually down in the, in the garden when she went down to water her plantation and stuff like that. And then uh, she gave birth to me. So about the struggle wow. of uh, trying to survive, which at that time Sierra Leone had the highest mortality rate. And it's like, um, I don't know, uh, three in every, I don't know, 10 children or five in every 10 children was dying before they get to, you know, their fifth birthday. So it was, the uh, situation wow. was really bad. And we live in a very, very poor, uh, when I say, basically in the slum. You know, so Tembetan was one of the worst in the in the capital city in Freetown. And so for my parents, you know, to look after myself and my sibling was very difficult because both my mom and dad never went to school. They have no education. So I wrote about this in the beginning of my book. And then also I was adopted when I was six. And then um, uh, my adopted family were a little bit very harsh. So at the age of nine, I ran away living on the streets. And then uh, one of my sisters picked me up. But during the time I was living on the street, the civil war started in Sierra Leone. And I was nine years old. So, and as we know that the war was one of the most brutal civil war in African history. Mm-hmm. And, but strangely enough, I find tennis. And then um, my dad threatened to cut my fingers if I ever touch what he referred to as the rich white man's sport. But um, I defied my dad and... You know, I continued to play tennis, but even though when I was trying to make it to the national team, uh, there was the civil war, there was all kinds of things going on with so many difficulties, but I managed to keep my head together and end up playing tennis and representing Sierra Leone till 2007. So after 2007, after the All-African game, when I represent Sierra Leone and become the flag bearer. So I decided to give it up and become a coach because it was difficult to get sponsorship and traveling was expensive. So, but here I am today, as they say, the rest is history. So these are the things which I wrote about in my book, 
and um, all the struggles and how I survived and how I managed to play uh, this rich white man sport, as my dad said, and now I'm here today. Oh my goodness, that's such an incredible story. Where do you think you get your strength from to go mentally through all of that that you just said? Poverty, war, um, all the, you know, even li- living on streets, like that's, that's quite a lot to take, especially if you're like nine, eight or ten, like just being a little boy. Where do you think like that strength came from? My strength is, uh, first one is for my parents. And um, uh, I used to, my mom used to take me to the jungle to cut wood because mm-hmm. that's one of the ways she survived. And um, growing up also around the tennis court, you see the difference between the rich and the poor. And I never, ever want to see my mom struggle. I never want to see my mom, you know, go through this kind of adversity where she works. You know, I used to say my parents work eight days a week from Monday to Monday. They never take a day off, never complain. Just to try and maybe make a 50, 50 pence a day, you know, less than a pound just to, to make sure that there is food for us. And so when I was growing up, my entire mentality is that I want to help my mom and I want to help my dad and my family. I want to be the, the provider for them. So I don't want to, to see my parents struggling like this. And this is what made me you know, become very serious. And I, I was motivated to do whatever it takes to, to change my life around, especially at that young age when the war started, there was drugs. And as we know, there's thousands of children within the ages of four and 16 who were recruited as child soldiers. Mm. And, you know, so I didn't want to be one of them. So when I found tennis, my motivation was that. And then also, you know, I, I, I find out uh, between the age of 10 and 11 that the kids who are actually representing Sierra Leone uh, were given uh, $250. US So when I had that, I completely lost, <laughs> lost my mind. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, uh, $250 is quite a lot of money for somebody like me and my family, which mm-hmm. in my calculation would sustain my family for half a year. And I'll be able to pay my school fee and, and then um, I'll be able to get new things, uh, shoes and stuff like that to go to school. And also I wanted to impress my dad because my dad didn't want me to involve in tennis or any sport because he wanted me to be a doctor. And uh, the second thing, the, the kid who revealed this to me told me, say, you know, Sam, not only they give the money, they get a national track suit. And for me, the national track suit was like icing on the cake. Like what? I really, <laughs> want, I really want to put on my national track suit. I want to play for Sierra Leone. So I did everything necessary to play tennis. And it wasn't easy because we had no rackets. No, uh, we had to be creative. And when I was a bit older, when we have racket, we have no strings and grips. So we also have to be creative. We have no restringing machine. We have to be creative and how to do all this thing manually and use our brain. And as you know, I end up, uh, you know, competing for Sierra Leone. Wow. You know what? When I was reading your incredible book, like what struck me the most is like how much determination you must have had to get into tennis through training with nothing literally with nothing as you yeah. as you mentioned like you know because yeah. nowadays kids are i don't know in the uk people will buy them everything and sometimes you know they lose interest in whatever sport they want to do after a few weeks and they're like ah, whatever i tried it it's not for me and for you you had absolutely nothing you didn't have racket it, you know it, even the shoes were an issue yeah <laughs> no. um, and that didn't stop you from practicing yeah. 
So yeah. can you can you tell me because I think it's worth sharing how you actually practiced you know certain movements and um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was really because I think when you're born in uh, Sierra Leone in those days, uh, not having shoes is not a strange thing because it's mm -hmm. not just me. It's like you see thousands of children walking to school without shoes. But I think what was different with my case was the fact that I was playing tennis on a concrete floor uh, barefoot. And, and one of the difference between also uh, living in, in Africa or in Sierra Leone and living in the Western world in Europe or America or uh, in Australia is that um, everything for us is an opportunity because we don't get these kind of things every day. Whilst in the Western world, for the children, everything is a necessity. It has to be there. You know, so this is, that's the difference. When you have too many options, you kind of not take things seriously. It's like if you have so much food in the house, you don't really respect food. But when you only have little bit amount of food every day and you see everybody struggle, you don't waste food, you don't throw food, you don't disrespect food, you, you respect pretty much everything. So my tennis was like that. And, and like I said, we didn't have racket because my parents were poor. And then, you know, when I run away, my sisters couldn't afford to buy me a racket. So what we did was we, we cut plywood. So we shaped them uh, like a table tennis bat or paddle bat, but they're slightly bigger, pretty much like the same size as a paddle bat. And um, so... And this is what we use and we play, you know, every day, all day when we have chance to play. But also before I started even playing board, but there was a popular sport, which is where it's still popular in Sierra Leone called hand tennis. Mm -hmm. So we play tennis bare hand and I could stroke a ball probably over 40, 50 or 60 mile an hour just with my wow. bare hands. And so this is something I was very good at. And I become so good that in school, children used to bet for lunch just for me during lunch break, for me to play, I will play like, you know, 30 minutes and I will never lose a match against anyone. So, wow. and then uh, I learned all the basic, my hand-eye coordination was good. But the first time I, I sincerely understand that not playing with shoes was quite <laughs> amazing was, um, there's a guy I wrote about in my book called Raymond Breeze. Uh, mm -hmm. We call him Raymond Breeze because he sang a song called Don't Freeze the Breeze. And he, came to play his regular tennis and met me and my friend Alimami, who was my, uh, one of my heroes. And we were playing best of five, like a tiebreak first to 10 point times five. Mm -hmm. And um, so we were two set all. And I got uh, three of my toes actually bleeding because I've been scraping my nails against the concrete floor. But oh, um, he was, <laughs> yeah, and, and I got my nails hanging off my toes. But at that time, it's like, my nail hanging off or my toe being broke was the least of my problem. My problem was I wanted to beat him so badly, even if it means that I will have to lose my leg, uh, I will have to do it because that for me will give me more confidence to believe that I can compete with anyone. So anyway, I end up winning, um, you know, three set to two and beating my best friend who was a bit older than me for the first time. And then he said to me the same thing that, you know what? you're becoming so good. I think you're going to be beating everybody very soon. And this Lebanese guy encouraged me, say, once you get rackets and shoes, you'll be a national champion. And so these sort of things, it was really tough, like I said. And every now and then, this Lebanese guy will borrow me his rackets, and then other coaches will borrow us their rackets, and we'll use it. And then um, until, you know, you learn to play. And then when I finally got a racket, the, the wall which was on the tennis court become my my best friend.
if alimami is uh, not at home i will just go to the wall and hit and hit sometime i will hit even when it's dark it's be i barely can't see the ball i'll still be on the wall training and my mom used to come to the court and drag me just to get home so <laughs> so it was quite uh, determination because i wanted to play i got nothing else there was no tv at home no radio uh, we didn't even have beds so because we sleep on the on the floor on cardboards and stuff like that and um, if we want drinking water we have to go three five miles away from home so there's no reason for you to come home you know uh, you go out there on the tennis court or any sport you do as much as you can just to make sure that um, you get better so that your your dreams become reality that's so much determination. But after having gone through all of that and knowing how it feels to have basically nothing, uh, how what, what do you teach your children? Because you have two daughters, right? And, yes. Uh, so how how you because they, they were born in the UK, right, and um, uh, brought up here. Yeah. Um, so like how how do you prepare them for life? uh having gone through all of that that you've went through um because it must be very like difficult to kind of pass on that strength and awareness uh yeah. to to children brought up in as you said in the western western society where everything is given there is plenty of everything food clothes toys yeah, yeah i think uh for me it's uh, i've been very lucky that my girls are really if you ever meet them, they're super different. Their mentality is so different, even though they were born and brought up here. I think the teaching start for me immediately when they start walking. I start teaching them. My kids were like, you know, less than two years old. I start putting them and once they sleep in the bed, I start um, showing them how to do the bed, how to clean the room. By the time they were four years old, mm-hmm. uh, I had a system in the house, which uh, is a traffic light. So red, yellow, and green. Mm-hmm. So they were... They will have, a, in the, at the end of the week, they can have a presentation where, depending on how many green, green mean they've been very helpful, they pick the, the, the paper on the floor, or they clean the room, or they do things, they can wash their plates. So I teach them from a very young age. And also, I took them a lot to Africa. So they've been to Ghana, Gambia, Sierra Leone, and to so many other places in Africa with me. So they've seen firsthand where I... I was born and where I, where I came from and some of the things the people I live with that went through so many struggles, they've spoke to them. So uh, my kids have been very fortunate. So I, I told them as the goal that I will give them everything. I will swim for them across Africa, even though I'm not a swimmer. But one thing that they have to do back is to make sure that they have respect, discipline, they work hard and make sure that they, they love people and care for people and also look after themselves and be well disciplined so my kids will really pick that up and actually one of my daughter is she's like the the copy of me she does pretty much everything that i'm doing she's one of the best sprinter in her age group in the country she does 100 and 200 meters we go to the gym at uh, six in the morning so we have to wake up 5 30 in the morning and go to train she never complains and she's doing speaking in schools and she's head girl for this she's so so your children will definitely, it doesn't matter where you were born, it doesn't matter where you live, I think it's what you teach them from a very young age. I think that's how they will grow up. I don't want my kids to be just the way I see them to be. I just want them to understand what is important in life 
what they find important and how I can guide them to survive and also to be disciplined enough so that, um, you know, they have respect for humanity and everybody, it doesn't matter who they are. And they're absolutely, I'm very proud of them. Their school is proud of them, you know, uh, their mom is proud and everybody else is proud of them. And people said to me, I don't know what you've done to your daughters, but they are super amazing. So, so it's not that difficult to actually teach the kids. I know it's a different kind of environment, but I make sure I take them, you know, to Africa and I also take them around the world so they can learn good lessons. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic that you did. And definitely, it's like, uh, I think that uh, all parents listening to this podcast will take this advice, hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. yeah definitely, definitely. Um, but it, uh, you mentioned like you know when you um uh you were going frequently back to to Africa how would you describe the situation there now is it similar to the 80s 90s especially Sierra Leone when you where you're from uh or do you see some uh positive change how would you describe it uh the, the situation there seen from being there not just what we see on the news and you know um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of positive things. And um, I spoke to over 50,000 children in Sierra Leone and different schools, some of the biggest schools. And, you know, I had a conversation with prefects in schools. And today, I think the difference is technology has helped to shape our world in so many good ways and bad ways. But I'm only going to talk about the positive, the good ways for now. Mm-hmm. Is that when I went to schools, is the, the kids, they understand, they know so much information about what's happening outside Sierra Leone. They see what England looks like. They know exactly what America looks like, even though they haven't been there. Whereas when I was growing up, you either have to read a magazine or you have to watch a movie. And obviously in the movie, they only show you what they want to show you for only an hour. But today, you could Google anything. You could go on YouTube. You could go on any news and you can see things. So the kids are very much uh, well-informed than when I was growing. Now, in terms of... uh, Poverty rate, is it changing very much? It hasn't changed very much compared to the resources because Sierra Leone is a 7.5 million people. We have gold, diamond, uh, bauxite, iron ore, timber, fishery, good uh, agriculture, you know, to feed half of Africa. We also have um, good land and good environment for tourism and everything. But yet uh, we have some of the poorest people on the planet. So that hasn't changed much. You know, um, but people are now aware the difference because when I was growing up, people just think it's normal to be that poor. But because the kids have a mobile phone today and they have a computer, they have all this internet and all the technology, they can see that this is not normal. And yes, the country itself, uh, infrastructure-wise, Sierra Leone and all the 10 counties I went to, Sierra Leone is probably the most developed because they make all the roads so moving goods from one side to another, and then uh, business and food is moving around better than it used to be when I was growing up. And, um, and also, you know, electricity in the country is really good because when I was growing up as a kid, in my book, I told you about going to find kerosene every evening, you know, to use a kerosene lamp. But today, there is electricity everywhere. There is the internet, even in the, in the jungle. When I was there with my you know, brother and my my sister or my mom with like 300 miles somewhere in the jungle and they still, uh, you know, uh, you still have internet. So mm-hmm. things are much different today and uh, the schools are uh, bigger. There's more kids, you know, now going to school and, and there's free education also in Sierra Leone compared to when I was going to school. 
So there's a lot of positive things and the children are willing for change. It's just unfortunately we still got the leaders and governments who are not willing to to do the, the things that I think they're supposed to do to make Africa uh, a better uh, continent compared to Europe and America or Asia as we can see the development. But things are going slowly in the right direction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And where, what is that you are planning to do next with your, with your mentoring? You've mentioned writing a new book. Uh, what, what are other ideas and goals uh, set, that you set for yourself? Well, um, during the lockdown, I wrote uh, five new books. Um, the, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, so I spent a lot of time writing during the lockdown. And uh, my next book should be out early sometime next year. And also, um, I'm going to be doing more uh, public speaking around the world than mm-hmm. I've done because I found out that, you know, everywhere I go when I speak, people are so motivated with my story and also with how I've managed to deal with adversity, trauma, losing family members, coming through the war. How did I keep on staying positive? So uh, my first ever show, actually, I have a management team now that uh, coming in called uh, Dear, um, the DNA, but the main company is BNI, Business Network International. So, mm-hmm. um, so I got a manager and a whole team that are helping me to put you know, my story together and to be able to do more public speaking in theaters and somewhere around you know, the UK and around the world. So my first show will be on the 24th of February at the Atkinson Theater in Southport. So it's mm-hmm. only a 500 seat, and um, so I'll be presenting how tennis saved my life. And it's a two part of the show. The first one is about my entire journey about tennis, about the war, about surviving. And then the second part is my advice to what children and people need to do and how they need to stay calm and how they need to be positive even at the hardest time. So that I'm going to be doing. And I've just uh, finished filming my um, hopefully Netflix, uh, Netflix documentary. So it wow. might be Netflix, it might be something else. So we did that whilst I was doing Motivate Africa in Sierra Leone. So I've only just seen the trailer about uh, a few days ago. And it's really amazing what my management team and uh, editor are doing with, with the, the film. So hopefully we're trying to get big names on it. We're trying to get, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I think we're trying to get um, somebody who is a famous British super actor. We're trying to get his voice over to, to do the narration for us. And, um, and then in the future, um, uh, because I had a call from somebody from Hollywood uh, last, no, this year for my birthday, uh, who oh, they were wow. interested in my story. So, and we're looking possibility for it to be turned into a proper movie um, oh. after the documentary uh, is been done. So, so I'm doing that a lot of speaking and also uh, try to help and set up things for Africa to c- continue to help motivate children, not just in Africa, but in Europe, in America and around the world, and do as much as I can to inspire, you know, people who are looking for inspiration. Oh, my goodness. So many fantastic plans. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, I will definitely be keeping my eyes peeled to your, you know, uh, Instagram and wherever you post the updates. So yeah. can you also say where people can find you um, on socials? and? Yeah. Uh, on social media, you can find me on Instagram at, uh, at Jalosam, J-A-L-L-O-H-S-A-M. 
and they can also find me on Facebook. So I got two Facebook uh, page or three, but the two main ones are my official one, which is Sam, S-A-M-P as my initial, and then Jalo, J-A-L-L-O-H. They can follow me on that page and uh, because I post a lot of things. That's mainly for what I do with my foundation and other stuff. And then I got my own personal you know, Facebook page, uh, which is uh, Samuel Pore, P-O-R-E-H, uh, Jalo. So people can also, for, um, you know, join me on that one. I don't know if I have space or had more friends, but uh, there I post everything which, uh, which happens. I'm not a big fan of Twitter, but, um, you know, uh, I do tweet every now and then. But my biggest platform is LinkedIn. Because LinkedIn, I have a big following there. So it's uh, Sam P. Jalo again. I just like my official Facebook, so people can find me on LinkedIn because I also post a lot of stuff. And um, yeah, so, you know, uh, if anybody wants, they can Google my name and whatever I'm doing with either BBC, because like last year winning the BBC Inspiration Award, that was one of the biggest things that happened. I don't know if I told you this, but um, uh, yes, yeah, so I was uh, one of the winners of the BBC Inspiration last December. So yeah, which they give, fantastic. They, they give that to three people around the world and every two years. So I was one of those fortunate winners and um, of that uh, prestigious award. So if people can Google my name, they can find a lot of the stuff I do. So it's easier to tackle me through Google these days as well. That's, that's fantastic. That's amazing. Honestly, congratulations for your amazing work, for everything that you do, uh, for the kids, for... Uh, for people in Africa and just, you know, for anyone else who is looking up to you uh, as an inspiration to not to give up and, you know, uh, to, to just make a change and do something with their lives. That's yeah. fantastic. That's fantastic what you do. Uh, Sam, thank you so, so much for connecting, yeah. for jumping on the podcast. Uh, yeah. well, I, will, I will keep following you and I, and I can't wait to read your next book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they are <laughs> so inspiring. So, yeah, thank you again for, for your time and for your all hard work that, you, yeah. uh, uh, that you're doing to promote positive change. Thank, thank you, you so much, Ella, and speak soon. <laughs> Take care, Sam. Thank yeah, you so, so much. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Rhythm life. Rhythm life. Rhythm life.